Now to the unprecedented shutdown of virtually all professional and college sports in this country. The NFL needs to be planning for every possible scenario, up to and including not being able to play at all in 2020. The virus had already scared many fans away from arenas and stadiums before the leagues and players associations pulled the plug. Coronavirus is the opponent no team prepared for this season. From the offices of Civic Ventures in downtown Seattle, this is Pitchfork Economics with Nick Hanauer, a conversation about how capitalism actually works. I'm Nick Hanauer, founder of Civic Ventures. I'm David Goldstein, senior fellow at Civic Ventures. So Nick, I, I have a confession to make. Another? Yeah, some, something I don't know that you know about me that maybe runs counter to my my uh, character is that uh, I'm a sports fan. No, I knew that. I knew that. You don't even have yeah, to it, confess that. Yeah, a, a big sports fan. I grew up, we had season tickets to the Philadelphia Eagles what, growing up. What, what league is that? Is that is that basketball? <laughs> yes, and that's your confession yeah. that uh, you couldn't care less about sports. Correct. But it turns out, Nick, that a lot more Americans are like me than they are like you. And you know what? <laughs> Just want to take, take an aside here to defend sports fanship. And that is, if you think about sports coverage and political coverage, they are almost exactly the same, except rooting for a sports team instead of a political party has no consequences. Correct. Right? So- all of this partisanship that comes with sports, that's safe. The partisanship that comes with politics, well, in this pandemic, it's proving to be deadly. Yes, exactly. But back on track, one of the things that Americans have had to give up, ironically, at a time when they need more diversion than ever, is watching professional sports. Uh, the NBA Correct. shut down. The NHL shut down. There was no March Madness. There's no college sports. There's no professional sports. Your brother? Yes. So the one sport I do follow is my brother's soccer team. Right, which is not like uh, a, a little league soccer team. No. <laughs> They're world champions. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, national na champions. North American right. champions, right. My younger brother, Adrian, runs and owns uh, the majority share of the Seattle-based MLS franchise. Yeah, yeah, the Seattle Sounders. And they, sh and they shut down. They shut yeah. down. And uh, I definitely, I talk to Adrian almost every day, and it's not pretty, to say the least. Right. For somebody like him, it's a business. Yeah. Whereas for fans, it's a passion. Yeah. I'm sure it's a passion for him too, obviously. It is, it is but indeed. It's also, it is. But it's also a business. Yeah. And it turns out, it's a really big business. Yes. When you look at the entire industry, there's, um, by some estimates, professional sports generates $80 billion a year in the North American market, uh, as much as $1.3 trillion globally, obviously employs a lot of people. That's just direct revenue. Uh, it also generates uncounted uh, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars through the people that work at arenas, the concessionaires, the, the bars and restaurants around the arenas, all of the marketing that goes on around it. Uh, many athletes make more money from uh, endorsement contracts than they do from their multi-million dollar salaries. Yeah. 
So this week, we're going to zoom in on one industry, the business of sports, which in many ways is both a great example of what's happening in the economy at the moment, it's gone, and in the economy at large, a winner-take-all industry in which the folks at the top are going to do just fine, whereas the people way down the line who rely on this for their everyday living are the ones who are going to suffer the most. Yeah, absolutely. Major industry, major economic impact, and in some ways that we don't think about every day. Yeah, and it is most certainly big business, and it's a me notwithstanding, it's an important part of the culture. Yeah. And so since this is a topic that's somewhat, certainly outside of your wheelhouse, uh, somewhat outside of mine, uh, we sought out an expert to tell us, to give us an update on what's going on with professional and college sports and what the impact is and what the prospects look like. Andrew Brandt is the host of the Business of Sports podcast, a contributor to ESPN and Sports Illustrated. He's also an attorney and the director of the Morad Center of Sports Law at Villanova University. Yeah, it should be a really interesting conversation. I am Andrew Brandt, executive director of the Morad Center for Sports Law at Villanova University Law School. I write a weekly column for Sports Illustrated on the business of sports. I host a podcast called The Business of Sports, and I also am an executive vice president of a sports agency run by someone you may know named Gary V. You know, obviously, uh, during this pandemic, millions of Americans are at home watching a lot more television, but one thing they're not watching is professional or college sports. Right. If you could start by, I guess, you know, explaining how big an industry this is and uh, giving us an update on how the leagues are handling this crisis. Yeah, the the COVID-19 has brought the whole world to its knees, but in my world, it's sports and it certainly has shut down. I look at March 11th, that evening is the tipping point, maybe for beyond sports, because at that moment when the player for the Utah Jazz named Rudy Gobert tested positive for the virus, it seemed to be that moment, like, oh my God, there's something bigger here. And Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, shut the league down at that moment. A game was scheduled to tip off after that, but it had a referee who had refereed a game where Gobert was a player, so they shut that game down. And the next day, the National Hockey League shut down, and soon after, Major League Baseball stopped its spring training in midstream. And of course, March Madness, scheduled to begin a week later, completely shut down after saying it was going to do it without fans. So we are in a standstill. And lesser leagues like Major League Soccer, the XFL, and others also, of course, shut down. We all await what will happen with the NFL, which has continued its business on the business side with free agency continuing, of course, Tom Brady moving to a new team, and the draft scheduled to begin April 23rd is all proceeding. The bigger questions lay down the road about what will happen to the season. So in terms of revenues on a normal year, we start with the biggest. The NFL is a $15 billion a year business, and that $15 billion a year is obviously in jeopardy, depending on what happens. Major League Baseball, the NBA are in the 8 to $10 billion range. 
hockey in the four to six billion dollar range and so on. So we're talking about, you know, on the major four sports leagues alone, roughly 30 billion in gross revenues that is, of course, at risk. And that's just their direct revenue. Of course, there's a lot of spillover. Uh, certainly, they tell us that every time uh, they want taxpayers to help fund an arena or a stadium. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a lot of dollars at stake, both for you know folks who work at these arenas, uh, the concessionaires, the bars and restaurants yeah. surrounding the arenas. You know, I've seen numbers that say it's um, eighty billion dollars in the U.S., uh, as much as one point three trillion dollars globally. I mean, this is this is the major leagues or major business. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of the poster child. Uh, sports is business, and business is sports. It's we've long passed the Rubicon about sports being kind of on the comics page and on the uh, the funnies part of the newspaper. It is now big business, and it resonates in all aspects. We've seen the consolidation of media and sports in the past few years. We've seen digital media, which is dominating the world, get involved in sports, whether deals by Amazon, Facebook, Google, Yahoo, YouTube, etc. So it's all merging. And we can talk about entertainment, we can talk about sports, but music, I mean, it's all kind of the same. It's, it's leisure dollars. And for whatever reason, Americans spend an inordinate amount of leisure dollars on sports. Yeah, I guess that there's a big impact too on colleges and universities. Yeah, right. There's a follow-on impact. Uh, NCAA reportedly earns a, a billion a year in revenue, mostly from college football and basketball. Well, we just talked about. I just mentioned briefly the shutdown of, uh, for lack of a better word, March Madness as people know it. It's really the men's NCAA National Basketball Championship tournament which has 64 teams and brings an extraordinary revenue to teams that do well and their conferences, not just them. And that was shut down. Now that has an extraordinary impact on college sports because as much as we criticize college sports as taking advantage of these athletes and they have all the money in the world and they pay these coaches millions of dollars, the fact is the revenue received from March Madness and football, which we'll talk about in a minute, pays for all the other sports. You know, I'm a part of Villanova University. We have 23 sports. One makes money, men's basketball. So I think that's kind of the norm and not in, in major sports and major college athletics. So people don't realize how much the dependency is on men's college football and men's college basketball to the exclusion of 20-something sports per school that depend on that revenue. And there's a lot of kids getting athletic scholarships in these non-revenue sports. And I guess the, the money that funds that is is at risk now. It is. And again, to Villanova, you know, we don't have big time college football. We have subdivision football, which is, again, not low level football, but kind of mid-level. We don't have a 25,000 seat stadium, but we have 70 scholarships at whatever, 60000 a year, that's $4.5 million, and football doesn't make any money. So you just start, start right there with having to cover $4 million from somewhere, and then you think about the drastic changes in revenues that come out of this. And I think the at-risk of college sports, to stay with that, 
is men's non-revenue sports because the hierarchy has been football, basketball, women's sports. And then under that is men's non-revenue sports. And we already are seeing it. Old Dominion University in Virginia just cut men's wrestling. So there's your first casualty, and there will be more. Do you think um, that there was an alternative way that this could have been handled? The shutdown? Yeah. <laughs> I wish I knew. I have. It's it's, uh, it's all the things being considered now, guys. I mean, this is it. It's every day at the offices of NBA and NHL and Major League Baseball are figuring out how we can do this. Yeah. Everyone's talking about sequestration and the idea of bringing together the teams. Use the term of art, sequestration. Sequestration. Yeah, explain that. Bringing together these teams in a remote location, only these teams and their staff, and sequestering them, just like a jury, uh, for a period of time while they play their games. Yeah. And not infecting fans and not infecting those who mingle with the teams. Yeah. And that's what everyone's kind of thinking about, talking about once there's some kind of positivity in the news. There's no time frame right now. I think Adam Silver said, the commissioner of the NBA said, I'm not going to announce anything until May. So that's what we're thinking about. That's what everyone's, I'm hearing. Within the context of test for COVID, yeah. a blood test for COVID that gives you a positive or a negative within 15 minutes, you can obviously begin to do some of these things really easily. You can test all the players on a team and bring them together. And well, you could put them in any stadium and have them play against one another. And that should be harmless, right? Yeah, we've heard the baseball example. And baseball is in a unique position because they haven't started their season, unlike these other sports. And they're, you know, you've heard things in the news about bringing everyone to Phoenix area where all these spring training stadiums are, albeit small, but also the Arizona Diamondbacks stadium where they would play three triple headers, three games a day, (laughs) and it would only be players. Yeah. And then the testing. But, you know, when you talk about the testing, then you talk about the social impact where assuming there are not unlimited tests, you're allocating these tests towards high-paid athletes? They weren't already. Yeah, I mean yeah. that that was one of the stories when the NBA first shut down. Why was it so easy for these NBA players to get tested when nobody else could get a test? Well, I don't know the answer to that, but I think that would come up again. Obviously, yeah, yeah. I I think if it comes up next week, it comes up. I think that we we cannot be that far away from scalable testing, right? We're weeks or months, not years, away from scalable testing. Yeah, but there and there's so many there's so many ramifications of even even what I suggested in a in an outline sketch is like, what about players? And a couple have reached out to me because I have a, a bit of a voice on Twitter. Yeah, and and said, what if I what if they say it's a go, but I don't want to? You know, my wife won't let me. My mother won't let me. I want to see my mother, and she, and then I can't. And I mean, what what about that? <laughs> you know, and. And are they going to pay guys that opt out or, you know, it's just all these ramifications about, well, what if I'm asymptomatic? That applies to people working for grocery stores too. Exactly. Let's be clear, right? Like, and they don't make $5 million a year. So, well, I think, I think that (laughs) 
that division is going to be apparent to whatever mode this comes out in, because I think the lower paid players are like, I'm in, where do I sign? Yeah. And maybe the players that have a lot of money in the bank would be more cautious. Yeah. Right. Well, that, that raises another question. You know, we've been talking about the major leagues. Uh, there's more players in the minor leagues, certainly in, in baseball and, and sports like hockey. And certainly if you count, if you count the NCAA as the minor league for football, yeah, uh, and the owners of these teams are not nearly as deep pocketed as the owners of uh, the major league teams, and the players are not making nearly the same money. Yet, the future major leaguers down there, their future careers depend on these leagues surviving. What does it look like at the minor league level? Are we going to see a major loss of teams? Yeah, you know, before all this. Major League Commissioner, Major Base League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred was talking about openly contraction of minor leagues. And 40 minor league franchises would be contracted, the theory being let's allocate those resources towards other minor league franchises rather than these kind of uh, low-level franchises that aren't making money and are in dilapidated stadiums, whatever it may be. And there was a lot of pushback on the political side because one of the potentially shuttered teams was in Burlington, Vermont, home of one Bernie Sanders. (laughs) So uh, he got involved there, and I don't know where that ended up. But the point is there that minor league baseball is not a moneymaker, and the players, I don't even know if people out there know how little these players make. It could be anywhere from 800 to 1500 a month, which doesn't do a lot for your bank account. There was an announcement they would be paid through May, and it's kind of open after that in terms of minor league baseball. But beyond baseball, there's the XFL. They have already shuttered for the year. Now they just close operations, period, uh, which is an upstart football league that started this spring. And then a league called the National Lacrosse League has shuttered. And we'll wait to see what Major League Soccer happens there. Have you heard from your brother? Have you talked to your brother about this, Nick? What the what the prospects look like for Major League Soccer? I should say I have talked to him, but I haven't talked to him definitively about it. I think that everybody in the sports business and in the entertainment business is sort of biding their time and wondering if things open back up uh, early midsummer. And if they do, the the seasons will proceed. Obviously. Uh, they'll be shortened or compressed, and there'll be different kinds of protocols that will be necessary in the stands. So, Andrew, I have a, I have a question for you. So it, what would it be like if the NFL was broadcast all year but with no fans? Uh, you know, does sports work without fans? I mean, I think in turn, there's two questions here. Does it work, and will people watch? Uh, On TV. I think the, yes, and the latter to me is absolutely. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I agree. And in terms of the ambiance, it'll be different. It'll not be as good, especially basketball, where you'll be hearing the squeak of the sneakers huh. and like you're in a high school <laughs> gym practice. Um, but TVs, these TV people are, are able to do some incredible things. In other words, yeah, you know, the only time you really have to see the fans in football is on a punt. Or a or a field goal. Oh, and uh, but you hear him. You hear him, Andrew. Know, perhaps it would be. <laughs> perhaps the silence would be would be. No, interesting. Perhaps no, no, the silence, no. 
would be uh, interesting. You'd hear what was actually happening on the field. I don't know. That, just... yeah. No, what you're going to hear are the announcers. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you an example of this. I, uh, I again, I, I'm an Eagles fan. Uh, mm -hmm. When I get to watch a game, it's almost always national broadcast and right. um, with announcers who I hate, ex-cowboys and stuff like that. <laughs> so I learned by accident that I could turn off the center channel speaker, uh, what I'm watching in surround. And on these broadcasts, the announcers are only on the center channel. Oh. So I don't hear them, but I get all the crowd noise. I get all the background noise. And it is glorious to watch a football <laughs> game just with the crowd noise and, you know, no Troy Aikman. <laughs> and well, you, what you you're telling me is it's going to be the opposite. I'm going to get just Troy Aikman and no crowd noise. <laughs> and I'm so depressed. Well, you can tune in your local broadcast somehow, I'm sure. That will, that will allow that. But, you know, you bring up the challenges and I think we're all on hold for football. I know it's 50,000 people and that sounds just monstrous for the, where we are right now. But football, NFL has had such a luxury right now compared to other leagues because they can watch and wait. Yeah. And maybe NBA and even NHL start without fans in May and I'm well let's say June, July and by the playoffs in August you've got fans back. And then the coast is clear for the NFL in September. Yeah. You know, a lot of this is just going to be with who's who's going to be the test cases here. I don't see any reason why the NBA could not go to Labor Day. And that would allow a drop dead date of July one for a start date, and they could, you know, we'll see where the world is in a couple in in a month or so. You think they'll just skip the end of the regular season and go straight to the playoffs? Ideally, they'd play five or ten games before it, but it's going to be dependent on timing. Yeah, and, and I heard you mentioning there's a problem with the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I know they they moved the Democratic convention, but they've so they've postponed it to August now. So that would right. still run into. Well, it was a problem, you know, if they were going to be the team in the host in the finals, and it was going to run into July. Then they moved the DNC to to August, but maybe they move NBA back, and you still have that problem. So, yeah, I mean, I talked to my my friends in Milwaukee, and they're like, "This is our year. This is our year," and and don't make it happen during the. DNC, it's, I mean, it's like all their, their hopes and dreams coming together. Do you see this changing professional and college sports going forward? You know, it's a great question. I can only compare it to, on the health side, concussions, because in my day running the Packers for 10 years, I mean, guys got hit in the head, but it was a ding. They got their bell rung. They took smelling salts. They're kind of back in. And then we had this revelation about the dangers of brain trauma and the causal link to future dementia issues in kind of night, uh, 2010 through 2015. And it, things changed. Where now players are held out, there's concussion protocols, you're not allowed even near practice field, it's not handled by the coach or GM, it's handled by the medical. So I'm trying to say what could come out of it the COVID situation in a similar way. I just think, you know, this gathering and, and showering and I mean, all that 
somehow I think is going to change. I don't know how, but this constant kind of rubbing against, I'm not trying to be crude here, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. bodies against bodies in crowded locker rooms and crowded showers. And somehow that's got to change too, I would think going forward. Well, at least for the next year or two, that's for sure. It's all about testing and treatment. And right. if testing becomes incre- incredibly scalable, and then it becomes almost like we talked about with concussion, like you're out for a week, like you're out for two weeks, quarantine period. I think that's where we're going. Yeah. Super interesting. Well, I don't, I don't think America gets back to normal until uh, professional and college sports gets back to normal. I, I know that for, for us, our non-sports fans listening, that may sound weird, but you're the weird ones. <laughs> Most people are sports fans. Do you guys think we have any or all of these leagues in 2020? Hmm. You mean, do, do they play? Yes. Man, there's so much money at stake. You tell me. I can't. I just <laughs> cannot imagine the NFL um, canceling the season. I can imagine uh, the NCAA canceling athletics until there's a vaccine or until this pathogen yeah. is gone there's so I agree much with you that, that liability that's a more likely scenario and that is a huge hit for as i said when we started a huge hit for college athletics because they support the other sports yeah as an agent my god what does it do for your clients the 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 kids who would be coming out next year who won't have a a season to uh to prove themselves in well, it's affected the kids coming out now. They're going to be drafted next week. They haven't had pro days, a lot of them. They haven't had visits to teams. It's all shut down March 10th and March, you know, mid-March, late March, early April are the key times where teams bring in prospects they think of drafting. So it's had some impact already, and this draft is going to be more blind than any draft ever in the NFL, I would think, in recent modern history. It's, you know, the whole thing is very interesting just as a, I I am not a huge sports fan, but, uh, you know, as a window into the way in which the pandemic is shaping our culture and our economy, I think it's very, very interesting. And, you know, I mean, obviously super dire and sad and difficult for lots of people for lots of reasons. Um, Andrew, if there's some point you think we haven't touched upon that, you know, that we're missing here, any final wisdom? Yeah, I mean, I think the wisdom of these sports leagues is is the balance. And how do you balance risk versus reward? And I, so what do you identify as risk? Risk is, is health. Public health would be fans. Okay, they can, they can control that, not allow fans. But then it's player health. Can they control that with testing, with isolation? Will there be enough tests? Will there be enough quarantine uh, facilities, et cetera? And then the reward is, you know, kind of a, a psychological reward, a return to normalcy for sports fans everywhere, and then the economic reward, and everybody wants that. So there's the balance. And, you know, they're kind of fighting uphill against doctors and scientists that say, keep on quarantining, keep on, keep on. But you know, we saw the world of 30 days ago, and it could look a lot different 30 days from now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, eventually there will be uh, football games again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. This too shall pass. <laughs> <laughs> Event- eventually. 
Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for uh, spending the time chatting with us. You are the first uh, sports expert we've ever had on our podcast. Uh, and thanks for happy to be there. Yeah. Happy to be that person. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. So Nick, if there's any lesson I learned from this conversation is that, um, the, the sports industry is an industry like any other industry and it's dramatic shutdown is just like the rest of the economy. It, it, it's devastating, but it wasn't inevitable or, or necessary. Yeah. And you know, I guess I'd never really thought of it before until this crisis hit, but the sports industry in particular is predicated on social gathering, not social distancing. And as right. a consequence, it's been, um, you know, remarkably hard hit by the necessity of social distancing, you know, around the country, around the world. So it, it makes yet another great way to understand how as we've said before, pathogens are inevitable, but pandemics are not. They're a consequence of wishful thinking, uh, governing incompetence, and uh, a lack of preparation. And, you know, there's this fascinating analysis in the New York Times that analyzes the effect of social distance on deaths and destruction uh, in time. You know, if, you, if we had gone two weeks earlier, we might have uh, avoided 90% of the fatalities and with it, a lot of the other problems, right? Having had the courage uh, to move quicker, having leaders in place that, you know, made science-based, math-based decisions, having the federal capacity to sort of deal with this. I mean, what you could never plan for was having a president as incapable as Donald Trump, right? And as divisive and- Incapable and unwilling. I mean, had we a a competent administration that took this seriously, that had not fired our pandemic, uh, our national pandemic task force years ago, that was prepared for this, that had the testing in place, that we were able to do contract tracing, maybe we wouldn't even have had to shut down the entire economy because we would have known that the virus was here weeks before the first people started getting sick, started showing symptoms and dying. And and the other irony, of course, is that even if we had to shut down everything, including the professional sports leagues, uh, had we done it two, three weeks sooner, we'd be out of it sooner too, because there would have been less spread and it would take yeah, it would correct. take less long to come out of the peak. Correct. So uh, every day we waited not only cost lives, but cost jobs and, and cost billions of dollars. Absolutely. And so, Nick, they may have these contingency plans to restart their seasons without fans, Personally, I don't think it's going to work. And if it doesn't work, then it's not just the fans who are going to be disappointed, but the uh, tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of people around the country whose livelihood uh, depend on professional sports, either directly or indirectly. Yeah. Look, here's the thing. is it? I don't know what you mean by the word work. It's not binary. Will a football game without fans be as good as a football game with fans? Almost certainly not. Uh, If the NFL were to start broadcasting games without fans, I would bet you any amount of money that you would like to put up that huge numbers of Americans would tune in. (laughs) 
and advertisers would advertise. So would, would right. it be as good? No. Uh, but would people be incredibly grateful for the entertainment? Hell yes. <laughs> but you know who wouldn't benefit from that, Nick? Yeah. Uh, the, the people uh, uh, selling concessions, no. the vendors Correct. at the, at Correct. the stadiums, Correct. the people, the security, the cleaners, the, the, the ticket people, the ticket scalpers, the bars and restaurants surrounding you're, you're absolutely uh, the, right. these arenas, all of that uh, business is going to be gone. Yeah. All of that livelihood, all of that income, and there's going to be businesses thrown into bankruptcy yeah. Uh, if we don't get back to a normal season. And it looks like it's going to be very difficult to get back to a normal season with uh, crowds in the stands anytime in the next year, maybe year and a half. No, that's true. It's true. And uh, it is most certainly going to be a rough year, year and a half for a lot of people. There's no doubt. But, you know, in the same way that, that doing takeout as a restaurant uh, doesn't replace all of the revenue that you were getting as a as a as a normal restaurant. It it beats nothing, and having sports uh, broadcast uh, in the absence of fans in the near term is certainly not ideal. But it may be better than nothing, and it'll be it'll certainly in in, in any case be a very interesting social experiment. It'll be really interesting to see how people respond to that. You, you know, Nick, one of the fascinating takeaways from this is that in some ways, professional sports is the classic example of a winner-take-all industry, where only the folks at the very, very top uh, make any money, and they make an amazing amount of money, yes. and uh, no, and nobody else makes a dime. Yeah. Right. So you know, you're, you're drafted, or or you're not for the most part. But actually, when you look deeper. Yes, it's winner take all when it comes to the athletes, uh, yeah. but there's so many other people that go into supporting these leagues and these businesses. It is such a huge industry. You know, I hate to say it. Whenever they want, they ask for taxpayer money to to subsidize a stadium. This yeah. is their argument. No, it's hundred percent the argument. Think of the little restaurants and the, you know, blah 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 right. blah. Yeah. <laughs> and and you can argue whether when it comes to taxpayer subsidies for a stadium, whether that's a good investment for taxpayers or not. But they're already there and there's already people relying on these leagues. And it's it's just going to be devastating. And and so when we 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 look at uh, any industry, uh, you know, sports is a really good example. Yeah, you can look at the, the it's easy to look at the direct impacts of this closure uh, on the leagues, on the players, on the owners. Uh, but it's all the indirect impacts cascading Correct. through the economy that are going to have. That, that's where the real damage is going to get done. Because to be honest, you know, my brother and Robert Kraft and the rest of the titans of the NFL and so on and so forth. They're, you know, those folks are going to be okay. They just are. Right. But the people who serve the pizza in the stadiums, not so much. And that's where our interest and attention should go. Right. And I think if we looked at uh, more closely at other industries, we'd find much the same yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Pitchfork Economics is produced by Civic Ventures. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Civic Action and Nick Hanauer. Follow our writing on Medium at Civic Skunkworks and peek behind the podcast scenes on Instagram at Pitchfork Economics. 
As always, from our team at Civic Ventures, thanks for listening. See you next week.